0: rely on Om X hunt when I'm hunting turkeys it is an invaluable turkey hunting tool if you're 21 or older consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more you can order nicotine pouches online they ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country black buffalo tobacco alternative bold flavor full pouches Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Okay, everyone, thanks for joining us. This is the Meat Eater Podcast. We're recording out of Scottsdale, but not quite. Um, In the the background, you might hear, if you're lucky, a dog baying or barking. That's 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 a lion hunting dog owned by Floyd Green, who owns and operates Outdoorsman's and Wilderness Athlete. And then his, you guys are like, do you guys consider yourself business partners? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this, I don't think the whole world, you guys' whole world is like convoluted to me, but also... Uh, we call it Chris, incestuous. Yeah. Chris <laughs> Denham of uh, Western Hunter, Infamy from does Western Hunter television show, Western Hunter and Elk Hunter magazines, managing editor. What? Do you have, did you have change your
1: titles? No, it's publisher. Floyd and I do, actually, we, we, we trade. We're co-publishers. Is that right? Of Western or no Every other issue. Yeah. Oh,
0: really? <laughs> <laughs> oh. We yeah, so these this? guys. These, these two guys are involved. Like, and I don't. And I, I don't pretend to understand where one thing lets up and, and where one thing ends and another thing begins. But these guys are very involved in a handful of uh, brands and companies and lifestyle things that I'm interested in. Is uh, wilderness athletes, um, outdoorsman's, like wilderness athletes, like performance enhancing perfor- performance enhancing products. Um, Outdoorsmen's optics is how you get into that, right? Primarily optics. Optics, backpack systems, accessories, and stuff. But started out, you started on the optics business? Before? No, I
2: started out in the gun business.
0: Oh, well, really? That's what outdoorsmen began as guns,
2: right? Oh. Right. And ATF soon made me realize that it'd probably be good to have a second occupation. oh was there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that's how the optics thing came that's up. That's where the optics thing came. Right. up. and then. Well, Western Hunter's been around a long time. Yeah, yeah,
1: basically it's funny, when Floyd got in the optics business, I was the Swarovski rep, and his first real order, besides Ray Steiner, was, in, was Swarovski, and it was my- Is that how you guys met? Yeah, that's how we met. But The first, when I was doing my training with the with the rep group, he, he gave me a little bit of training the first day on the job, and he says, hey, i want to go introduce you to this this account over here in town, so we drove over, and he walked in, and it was the outdoorsman's, and I met Floyd that day really it was my first day on the job as a rep and and he'd you'd just gotten your first Swarovski order at the time he'd just gotten his first roski order and then you, you guys said we should start a magazine yeah yeah that then, was a it, decade later a oh, Decade no, no, no. later. yeah it was a decade <laughs> before we started it. it started out as a kind of a catalog to talk about outdoors and products and and you know we put a couple articles in there on how to how to use this stuff you Help. know and, and uh and before you know it, people wanted to advertise, and they wanted more articles, and then we started calling it a catalog, and it grew into a magazine, and and yeah, it's been just a work in progress.
0: I, I I told I told Floyd the story, but um, like I remember so clearly the first time I ever had my hands on a issue of Western Hunter, I remember just opening up and seeing like dudes sitting there with binoculars on tripods, which I now realize is that like I, I don't like looking through binoculars any other way, but sitting so there like looking out in like flat dry ass desert yeah. and be like what in the world are they looking for yeah. <laughs> that was yeah that was quite a while ago That's but where all came from. yeah so then uh and then now elk hunter too and i know floyd and people who watch the show Meteor Pride, would know floyd from we did a um we did an episode with floyd about hunting for mountain lions and um went out twice have Yet to lay eyes on a mountain lion with Floyd, but it, it cured me forever of what not, not cured me of it made me antagonistic almost to the point of violence to anyone who wants to tell me that there's no challenge in lion hunting. You know, I'm telling you what, man, it's like it's like that's we'll talk about that at another time, but um. I can't wait with that, with a, with, with a very deep respect of what goes into the lion hunting, particularly the dry ground, it's, the it's no snow lion hunting.
2: Different game out here.
0: Yeah, um, that, that's a whole other conversation. Chris, so Chris Denham used to, like you were in the tag, like the, the big game tag business.
1: Yeah, we, you know, I started an application business along with, with Western Hunter Magazine, oh gosh, probably Seven, eight, nine years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, they ran a tag service for about probably about five or six years. until I finally got burned out on that game. Just and really, it was an evolution thing. You know, Elkhunter magazine came along, and it just it just became too many things to to keep up. You know, too many balls in the air constantly. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: and it, it really because I I took my attention to people's tags was just like my own. I was just paranoid. I was constantly I couldn't I couldn't handle the stress of the, of the application business. I was so afraid of making a mistake. No, oh, I'm sure, man. But I loved it in that it kept me you know I was constantly researching you know looking at different ideas and options. So I mean I really enjoyed it in that respect. But uh, but it is a stressful
0: business. Yeah. Uh, so just just to get some background, what what exactly we're talking about? We're talking about tags. You always hear people say like play the tag game or tags or you know applying is most states. All states in the West and more and more states in the East mm-hmm. allocate some number of big game permits to, through lotteries to applicants, right? So whether it's, you know, Michigan elk, much of Michigan bear, some areas for turkeys, you know, like Kentucky elk, Pennsylvania elk, Maine moose. Yep, yep, Moose in Maine, and then everywhere in the West. In some states, all big game tags, virtually all big game tags are awarded through some sort of lottery, where on a designated date, usually late winter, right, mm-hmm. you fill out an application and send in some amount of money, it varies by state, and we'll talk about that, and you're throwing your name in the hat to get, to get a tag, and then they do a drawing and you find out whether or not you're going hunting. And um, we get so many questions, like, th- like through the show and other things, we get so many questions from people who are always just trying to make sense of this whole system. I'm, like I'm newly familiar to it because when I, like everywhere I've ever lived, when I lived in Montana, I just hunt like the over-the-counter stuff. Right. But more and more you realize that the real dream hunts you know, like the great stuff you're going to go do is is uh, you got to play the system. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to like jump in there and try to figure it out, and it's hard, I think, for people to match it to like whatever your budget might be or what your interests are. So, you got as much experience in this kind of thing as anybody I know. So, I kind of wanted to run through sort of how does a guy who Knows that at some point, right? He's going to go out and do like a hunt. Like, how do you begin even thinking about this kind of stuff? And like, where, where does a person spend the money? Where? How much money does it cost? Like, how, how do you, you know, what's a tag plan? You know,
1: the 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 first thing a guy needs to do is is, is start on the research end. You know, and there's there's resources out there. Um, you know, traditionally it was you know like Huntful, uh, Eastmans that all had you know information on different units uh what the premier units were uh but then now you've got a lot of online stuff coming on there's one out right now called gohunt.com they just came out this year uh, and they've got some it's an incredible resource with maps i mean everything you'd want to know about a unit about a state about a species is all right there you can break it down which which units have archery tags which units have rifle tags they just they've only been live for about 90 days and a, really it's an impressive program they've got but there's a lot of resources online, that Hunter's Trailhead, that you, Steve, yep, you and I yep. have talked about that. It's got all your, your point, points, what, how many points it might take to draw certain areas. But the first thing a guy gotta do is allocate a budget. And it,
0: it, cause it is, it really does come down to money. You gotta spend some money. You, you told me, like, j- just to, <laughs> like, when you, when you get into the money thing, I, I had a conversation with you a couple years ago. We were talking about whether or not you could ever draw a bighorn tag. And you had said something to me, to the, you, can, you can clarify your own point. You had said something to me to the effect of if a guy comes to me and he's in his, I can't remember what his late 40s, early 50s, and says he wants to start trying to get a bighorn tag, you tell him just take all that money now and go up to Alaska and go on a doll sheep hunt. Yeah you're going to wind up spending that much anyways, and you're not going to get the
2: day. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's true. I honestly, I and I've never actually done the, the math, but I think, I I, I think it might it might actually be accurate. If you took all the money you were going to spend on, you know, mandatory hunting licenses and preference points, uh, and took all that money and went and bought, you know, because it could be up to you're going to be in the fifteen hundred two thousand range for that dollars for a sheep for sheep applications, you could. I think if you went down and bought two thousand dollars worth of lottery tickets, you probably stand a better chance of winning a million dollars in the lottery than you do a draw on a sheep tag. You win a million dollars, then you go buy all those tags. Yeah, <laughs> you exactly. just go do buy all them the all. deals. Yeah, it's a, it's a shame that that it's it's a shame. It's just a reality of what we live in nowadays. Is that these tags are extremely rare, and everybody knows about them for the most part. There's a lot of resources, and, and there's just a lot of people applying for them, and everybody wants a chance. Yeah, actually, I think a lot of the, the raffles that states have nowadays have better odds sometimes than their, than the actual... I remember you saying roster. to me that
0: the Colorado raffle, like if a Bighorn raffle tag in Colorado, the the money it costs you to apply for a sheet tag in Colorado, if you spend that money on raffle tickets, you, you get to where you have as good odds and if you spent like a little bit extra you'd have more odds, better odds than you do in the regular draw absolutely you know especially in those you know
1: four or five years ago unfortunately everybody kind of figured this out too is it you know there was three or four thousand tickets getting sold for that raffle tag if you went and spent 1500 bucks you could get your odds up to five or six percent seven percent whereas your odds in the drawing you know were you know down in the half percent to one percent Yeah, yeah. i mean so literally 20 times better odds for you know, twenty times more money, but at least you can't the one thing we can't buy is time. So if you can improve your odds by twenty you know, twenty fold, you know, and you've got the resources and you know, it was a wise move at the time.
3: And you can correct me, but I think that a guy that writes for you guys, Mike um, Mike Duplan. Duplan, yeah. right? He did that and, and won it. one of those tags. Oh, he's right? the Colorado
0: guy. Yeah. He's always talking about Mule Deer in Colorado and so. stuff. Yep. Yeah, so yep.
3: county and he drew a, a big one, or Won a bighorn tag. Yeah, the he won the
1: statewide, the statewide Rocky Mountain Bighorn tag. And shot yeah. a tremendous sheep. Yeah. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, tremendous ram at like 11,000 feet in October.
0: It's a pretty epic story. It was a Oh, that's story. cool, man. Yeah. The allure of that stuff, like what's so cool about the limited draw things, like the first limited draw tag I ever drew was a turkey limited draw tag in an area that, that was the first year they ever allowed turkey hunting there. Oh, really? It was this place we used to always hunt black bears. And I was like, man, there's a ton of turkeys around here. But you couldn't hunt them. And then one year, I just, like, get the turkey book and I look in there, give an eye, I can't remember what it was, 20 tags or 15 tags for this giant part of northwest Montana. And, um, drew it and went out there. And, like, people are always talking about, yeah, these animals have never heard a call. Yeah. I can guarantee those birds have never heard a call because that was, like, the first hunt
2: yeah.
0: to ever occur there. I drew that tag a number of times, and it was amazing. it's like... Everybody dreams about getting these situations where there's no other dudes around, you know? Or it's just like, where it's like a pure hunt. You know, you're just like, you're hunting animals that aren't, you're, you're, not, you're hunting animals that are doing something more than just responding to other hunters. And certainly you can achieve that, you know, with just like over-the-counter tags. But when you start getting into the, into the draw units is when, I mean, you get like just the magical, magical spots.
1: That is the best, you know, that's the thing about the draws is it does put you into a hunt where you're going to have a lot less competition for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then nowadays, honestly, that's really where the magic is for those hunts. Because, you know, even in Arizona, you know, we, Floyd and I have been talking about it, how even our some of our best elk units and our best deer units are getting pretty much overrun. I mean, there's just a, because hunters are becoming so much more efficient. You know, we're hunting. You might have two or three buddies out there with you. We've all got really good gear. We're a lot more committed than we used to be. I mean, it used to be like a, an archery elk hunt in Arizona. If you were out there on the weekends, you'd see people. If you were out there on Wednesday, you were by yourself. Really? Now, nowadays, everybody's out there for the entire season. You know, they're just hunting it like crazy. They burn their
3: whole vacation. They burn all it all. On. Yeah. You feel like you've noticed that in your lifetime? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely.
1: I remember one of the first times I ever drew an archery elk tag. It was in 6A, which is one of our biggest units here, was, you know, more elk tags. And I it was the first time I'd ever elk hunted. I'm from born and raised in southern Arizona, so I didn't even know anything about the woods. Uh, and uh, anyways, I it was a Wednesday. It was a Wednesday and I hunted it on a Thursday. And I got lost. Before GPSs, I got lost. I mean, lost, bad lost. But, you know, you're in Arizona, you can only walk two miles before you're going to hit another road. And, uh but I walked all freaking day before I finally ran into somebody in, in a truck. You know, I mean- it, During hunting season. During hunting season. Like the one time you want to run into Yeah. <laughs> you know, nowadays you just stand there and listen, you'll hear the roads, you know, cause there'll be, you can hear trucks racing all through the middle. It's like you're
0: saying like in a unit, same number of tags as always. Yeah. It just feels different now. It just feels totally different.
1: Yeah, everybody's just hunting longer, they're hunting harder.
3: You know they're more committed. Why? Well, because they're all reading Western Hunter magazine. Yeah, there, there's a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, and the it, friends yeah. thing, right? I mean, everybody goes out there with a the team now, mm-hmm. and um, I, I felt like I even noticed it in Unit Ten. I mean, I only got there three years, and it might have been just this one particular glass and knob, but I felt like the first year I was there, I felt like, wow, I got this great glass and knob, and like, there's no boot tracks up here, and, like, there's really no sign, and like, man, I'm looking at a lot of elk. Great. Two years later, or two calendar years, but it was the third season I got it there, I hike up there one morning with a guy, and there's already three guys there, and then as it's getting light, I wanna say like six guys showed up. And I mean, it was like this whole canyon rim was covered up with people with I mean, there was $100,000 worth of optics sitting up there, you know? And I'm looking at my guy I'm like, well, those guys all are not hunting. They all have dudes down there hunting. You and I need to leave because it's just you and I. So I can't tell you to go somewhere, no. yeah. you know? So,
2: yeah, you know, in yeah. all those oh, people. Oh, what a downer, man. It is not changed. 20 years ago, I can remember we would be up there glassing people, walking around out there, and you'd see another hunter, and you'd look him over real close, look at his pack, and you'd look at me, if you saw a tripod, you'd think, this guy's a threat. And then you'd see a guy walking with no tripod. You think, ah, oh, he's just taking his rifle for a hike. Oh, really? You know, and it's just the, the the intensity and the level and the skill set that these guys have these days has dramatically changed.
1: Yeah, it, it really is a, it's a funny race, you know. Trail cameras, you know. I mean, there's trail cameras everywhere. Yeah. You know, the big bulls, the big bucks, they're all there. Somebody's got a picture of almost all of them. They all think they're going to kill that one. You know, so they they got all their buddies out there looking for that bull. everybody, bull's got a name. You know, it's uh you know, not to be a downer, but it is a little frustrating. You
0: know? Yeah, I remember someone saying that um they walked up to a a, a, a water hole here somewhere in Arizona, and it's kinda like a dozen trail cans or something. Yeah. You know,
1: Floyd and I had Floyd had a strip tag a couple years ago. And and we were out there and, well, and when, when he, he says strip tag, to t- tell them what you mean by it. You no, know, it's Arizona Strip. It's units thirteen A and thirteen B up north of the Grand Canyon, and it's it is the it, it, as a density, it's got more huge non-typicals mule deer than any other place on Earth. It's you know it's just an amazing place. Lots of huge deer. The genetics are phenomenal. And we were there on Floyd Drew in a really tough year. I mean, it was a, it had a really dry spring, dry summer, and the antler
0: development just wasn't very good. But there was one buck we had found. But let me let me pause you again because this is an interesting point that I never I, I had never even heard of this till till we were talking earlier today. If you guys get a a drought or like a dry spell in the right period of time, you see that in the antlers
1: of the animals. No doubt. Yeah. If it's if you don't get the rain right, you know, right before antlers drop. And then certainly all the way through that growth phase, if there's not green stuff growing, then, you know, the, the, the elk are really susceptible to it. But then up on the strip, it's a it's a desert. It's a high desert up there. And if they don't get it up there, and if they get a, a late spring, it's cold, and they don't get any green up early, you know those bucks just don't put on the development. I mean, it can be dramatic, you know, twenty percent, you know, that, 20% yeah. Difference. Just like yeah,
0: I just never, you know, coming from I've always lived in the north, you just never think of uh, water yeah. as a limiting factor. But yeah. yeah, yeah. So, anyways, so
3: so Floyd drew on a dry year, dry right? And before we hear the rest of that story, let's take a quick break.
0: Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside, planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing. Taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. I've said it before a thousand times. I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, We got serious about life insurance, and man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to PolicyGenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's PolicyGenius.com. Applying for tags each year in the West can be daunting. Yeah, I apply for everything everywhere. It's dawning. You have to go to a variety of sources to formulate your best guess as to where to apply. Well, this is a thing of the past now. OnX just launched hunt research tools to simplify the process for all hunters. This tool helps organize the data that matters, makes comparing hunt options easy, and helps hunters develop a plan based on real metrics rather than gut feelings. OnX Hunt also offers all elite members a free digital membership to Hunt and Fool, who I use, for boots on the ground insight and knowledge, and a membership to Hunt Reminder so you never miss another deadline. Stop stressing over application season and apply with confidence in 2024. Check out OnX Hunt Research Tools, free for all OnX Hunt Elite members. Not an Elite member? Well, let's fix that. Use code MEATEATER to receive... 20% 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. This is an app I use literally every day. I use it for every aspect of hunting, scouting, trapping, you name it. Hey man, after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there is always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, well, what's the catch? But it turns out there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash meat eater. $45
2: Forty-five dollar upfront payment required, equivalent
3: to fifteen dollars per month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speeds lower above forty gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint
2: Mobile for details.
1: So, anyways, we're, we, we there was one particular buck that Floyd passed on the third day. Third day, of course, I'm sitting there. going, we need to shoot this deer. We need to shoot this deer. We need.
0: Floyd's like, nah, I think we might be do better. No, he's Chris is complain. I need to tell you, Floyd, that Chris has complained about hunting with you. That you never want to shoot <laughs> anything. He's like to go and look around. It's bad.
1: It's bad. It's bad. So We're looking at this buck. I'm thinking this buck's 190 inch typical, you know. And he's got one little. He's got one little point sticking out. So we, we call it middle finger because it's points just sticking out like this. And uh, so we find middle finger coming off this ridge and we know he's gonna hit this water hole. He's got does and his does has got their heads down. They're gonna hit this water hole. So we bust around the other side. He's gonna drop into a hole. We're not gonna be able to see him. So we go right where we can see this, this water tank. And it was a game of fish catchment uh, that was that's surrounded by pipe and, uh, and there's a drinker there. And then that drinker feeds into a cattle drinker. Well, we're sure he's gonna come out to the cattle drinkers closer that way. So we get over there and we get set up and it's just gray light. I mean, the sun's just set, but Arizona, you got 30 more minutes. And we knew a bunch, we saw a bunch of does coming off behind us and we know they're gonna hit this game of fish water. And they start jumping the fence into this game of fish thing. And the flashes are going off of the camera. I mean, it was like Britney Spears just showed up. You gotta be kidding me, man. 15
2: or 20 cameras and every one of them has got a couple minute delay. It look like fireflies.
1: Yeah, just this is. In peripheral oh, vision, it just—I mean—is it Britney Spears? Yeah, it could <laughs> be, you know. I mean, it's just there. It was amazing how many cameras were on that water hole
2: And we could see seven or eight. We didn't want to walk down to the water, so we were just glassing them, seeing them on the post. You could see seven or eight of them, but yeah. they—they were everywhere on that water.
1: And this—and this water, from the nearest gas station, had to be three hours. Right. Three hours to the nearest gas station. Wow. You know, that's how remote this place was, and there's that many cameras out there. See, that?
0: that's, like, just, just to bring this around to what we're... Not what we're talking about, but to bring this around to the main subject I'm trying to talk about, <laughs> is that's the kind of thing where, when you're looking at these applications and you're going to apply for stuff, that's the kind of thing you don't know. Right. You know? And so there's... Like, for instance, I drew a musk like I drew a muskox I had a muskox tag this year that I went and hunted on, but I drew the same tag on Nunavak Island in Alaska in 2010. I think I had the tag. I just put in, like, oh, I'll go hunt muskox. Put in a unit, knowing nothing about it, okay? And then later learn that that unit by law which it says nothing about this in the regs, but that unit by law, you have to hire a transporter or a guide because the only place to land on Nunavak Island is in the town of Macoriuk. And the town of Macoriuk happens to be a native corporation. It's Chupik Eskimo. You can't get on the island without landing on their land. And so they have a thing that if you're gonna hunt out of there. You gotta hire one of them as a guide. So you put in your thing thinking like, oh yeah, you know, you look at a map of the island, it's all federal land. You're like, sweet, public land muskox hunt. But then the minute you start, you draw the tag and you're like, not quite, man. It's a little more complicated than that. In fact, you need a few more thousand (laughs) dollars if you're gonna do this thing. It's like hard to know that kind of stuff. And so it kind of comes around like, what we're talking about with Chris, doing a a tag services is help people wade through all this stuff. And so often, people that do the permit draw game, there's some units people want because they're just going to kill, you have the potential to kill like a giant animal. Personally, I'll tend to look as much at, that's something I'm interested in. Like when I do my Montana application, I always put in like a unit, I've never hunted in, but I know it's like, I someday want to kill a big mule deer and there's a big mule deer unit in Montana, so I put that down. At other times, when I'm doing like a mountain goat unit, where I don't really care, like you know, if I had like a record book mountain goat, it's not going to, yeah, It'd be like my potential record, but muskox. This is not something that's going to come <laughs> up in conversation yeah. very often. When I'm picking a mountain goat unit, I'm thinking of where is it going to be the most fun to hunt? Right. You know what I mean? Like, where is the best chance of seeing no other person around, you know? So there's all these different little things you're trying to weigh out. Yeah, but, I think uh, that would
1: be my number one piece of advice to, to serious hunters when it comes to the application game is pick out areas that you, you, you know, that have those dream hunts you know 270 in montana for mule deer you know and and 231 in nevada for mule deer the henry's in arizona in in utah there's a strip in arizona but really Is that kind of the big mule deer around those up? are the big yeah we, we kind of missed the ponsagot and of course half of colorado but <laughs> but uh but look for areas that you know put in for those dream hunts but look for areas where you think you can draw a tag if you can come out west or if you live out west and hunt every year or every other year, look for those areas that you could hunt every year or every other year. Because I really do believe that a guy, like Colorado's a classic. There's, there, there's been a boon and deer killed in every county in Colorado. I mean, there are some units that are far better than others, certainly for overall quality, but every one of them has the genetic potential to produce a monster. And if a hunter were to pick a unit in Colorado that he could hunt every year or every other year and come out and do that, he will kill a monster buck long before the next guy ever draws,
0: you know, yeah. one of the premier units. Yeah, so before you accumulate your, like, 18 points. Yeah, At
3: that's which really, point you've never
0: even hunted mule deer for 18 years. You haven't hunted deer. You don't <laughs> even know
3: what the hell you're doing. Yeah. That's well, really, Like, you just need to know what your goal is. Because if your goal is, like, whatever it is, that 190 or just a big mule deer that looks big to you, you don't need to go to the Henry's or to the Kaibab to do that. Right. Like you're saying, you can go to probably half of Wyoming and you know half of Colorado.
1: Yeah, you've said, I'm sure you've seen it. At, you know, guy elk hunters. I mean, every one of them thinks they want to kill a monster, and then you show them a 310 bull, 320 bull, and all of a sudden their whole idea of a monster just got redefined because that bull is a monster. Yeah, you know, giant. they actually get one in front of them. yeah you know?
3: Oh no, where I got it, we would like pass on a five point the first day, and then on the we'll second day they second shoot a four point. <laughs> <laughs> okay. well, I guess kind of the Gila in Arizona might
1: be a little different, man. Yeah, Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think way too many guys are looking for what the, you know the magic hunt, the magic draw, the magic unit, and not realizing or trying to or forgetting the fact that hunting skills are something that are only acquired through experience. Yeah. You're not going to get it sitting. You know, you can read Western Hunter magazine all you want. You know, I'd love to think you could learn everything you need to learn, but you can't. Well, no, we you guys don't give GPS
0: coordinates in there,
1: no, we don't even give units. Yeah, you know, we don't even talk about units. But uh, I always feel like I always feel like calling you and asking
0: you where some of these articles happen, but I, I feel like it'd be unfair. Yeah, I might tell you if <laughs> oh, you really? want to put it on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we were talking about. Um, uh, I'm addressing the listener, not you guys. One for. There's like long shot units, and then there's like within the draw spectrum, okay? You have long shot units where you might have a half percent, quarter percent, one percent, whatever, chance of drawing the tag. And then you have something that you'll hear the term an undersubscribed unit. Uh, undersubscribed units where your state's fish and game agency says, let's they say, like, okay, we're gonna give about 100 elk tags in this area but traditionally only 75, 80 guys ever even put in, right? So it's, we'll say it's like a guaranteed draw, meaning theoretically you could not get it if, a, if interest suddenly spiked, but just every year not enough people do, but there's no over-the-counter option, so if you don't hit the deadline and fill out your application, you won't get the tag. Some states will sell those leftovers, what do they call them, surplus? Yeah. Uh, They'll sell them on a first come, first served basis. Some states, that's just it. It's like, if you don't put in, you don't get it. And so a lot of times you hear of a guy, it'll be summertime, this happens to me all the time. You hear from some guy in June or July he's gonna go elk hunting this year, and you, you always wanna be like, well you already, like, you already missed out on 90% of the state's opportunities in the states because you just didn't do your thing on time. Right. It's not that you can't go if you put it in. Because you can, like you're saying, you can go hunt. You can go hunt elk in Colorado every year. There's thing when, when when you and I, when Chris, when you and I have spoken about hunting in Arizona, your feelings about Arizona were like, hunt coos deer in Arizona. Because you can spend all this time trying to get a mule deer tag in Arizona. Meanwhile, you can go on a deer hunt every year. Every year. I mean, actually,
1: the unit, well, the unit, you and I both had this year, we're, we're 100% su- success on the draw.
0: Yeah,
1: I mean, 100%. I mean, there's, we have, uh, probably 10 or 12 coos units every year that go undersubscribed on the first and second
0: choice you I mean you could draw them on a third choice so you could hunt the thing every year every year okay. yeah so like play like doing tags and, and lottery draws it's not just the it's not just about that you're in 18 years or whatever gonna like get this chance to go hunt like a bighorn it's also just like are you able to hunt or not just go hunting
1: yeah, yeah it's because I've, I've watched so many guys over the years that their, their hunting skills just basically deteriorate because you know, they're sitting around waiting for a magical tag that may or may never come. Mm-hmm. You know? And even the best units, even the, you know, even the strip, as good as that is and as much hard work as everybody puts into that, the success on the hunt each year is only around 60%. So guys wait literally you know, a hunter's lifetime for a tag and only ha- a little better than half of those hunters actually kill a deer. And of those those that kill a deer, maybe half of them kill a deer that they dreamed of. So seventy percent of the people that draw that tag go away in some sense of the word disappointed. Do you think they, a lot of them don't show up? No, I go some of those eight, every year because you know with uh, an organization I work with, the Outdoor Experience for All, where people can donate tags to us mm-hmm. if they can't come. Uh, it usually runs two to five percent. You know for draw. So tags. there really are
0: guys that are out there hunting that are not just can't
1: make it for one reason or another. You know whether it's. You know, they just had a new baby in the house, or you know, their daughter decided to get married right in the middle of hunting season, or some travesty like that. But uh, yeah, it does happen. The guys just don't even show up, you know. And they Floyd, went you out. had it and
0: didn't kill one, right?
2: No, yeah. no, we never shot one. Twice. I'll <laughs> say it twice, twice. two different times.
0: You've had two terrible lifetimes? Yep. What happens when you go up there? You know, we look at a lot of deer. Didn't used they, to fly that area line?
2: Yeah, we flew it a lot, I've looked at a lot of big deer. I've been involved with some big deer that have been taken up there. The deer we passed, it, you know, 190 inch net buck. But when you go up there, it's a special place to me. And, uh, you know, in hindsight, I would have probably shot the 190 inch deer, but you never know when you might see a 230, 240 type deer. That year was particularly, there was a few deer shot in that category, but uh, very limited. Did you see mm-hmm. lines up there? Some, not a whole bunch, not a whole bunch. But,
0: but when you flew it, you flew it looking for mule deer.
2: Right, and saw lots of bigs. Well, actually, I went up there with, knowing there was five larger deer there and saw three deer that would break the 230 mark. So when you know they're there and you know the place has that kind of genetic capability, it's really hard for me to shoot a smaller deer. And I don't, you know, Chris, like Chris and I have some fun with it, but I really don't ever feel like I need to shoot anything. And, and I, you know, I kind of enjoy that. It's... uh I think we about gave Nate an aneurysm (laughs) on that hunt. Uh,
3: To me, it's so refreshing actually to to hear you say that. You know, that you can just go out there and just have a great time with such high stakes and come away with no deer and be like, that was awesome.
2: We certainly get to hunt the whole hunt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
3: I'm always teasing. How long
2: is
1: the hunt? That was nine days, ten days, ten days. It's not a hard
2: hunt at all, other than the mental aspect but uh, the country for the most part's
0: just not, it's not that challenging. You mean it's not of—it's not like a lot of up and down?
2: About a lot of stage and cedar country.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just, you're pounding, pounding
1: dirt, your tires take a beating. Hmm. But you know, uh, you know, I make fun of Floyd because they tease him about not shooting that deer, but God, think about all the stories we'd have missed out on. Yeah. <laughs> all the storytelling time we had. <laughs> It would have yeah, been almost a travesty if we shot that deer on the third day.
0: Yeah, have yeah, yeah. lost six, six days or the Yeah. One thing that I've, I've found myself doing, and I never did, like, I, I, I only, I, Chris, I've known you the whole time I've done it, only for a handful of years, started applying for tags in states where I don't have, like, deep connections, okay? So I'd always done, you know, I lived in Montana, have have family there still, have family in Alaska. So I've always done like the Montana and Alaska draws, and it was kind of like hunting my home ground. Right. You know what I mean? I've only in the last few years begun applying for states where I don't even, where I'll have to figure it out once I, if I draw a tag, Right. you know, where I just don't know what's going on. But now I, I pretty much do virtually all Western states, and I have a way where I sort of think, under your guidance a little bit, I think of some as being just start now and accumulate points and then maybe someday when you're an old man, you'll have like these amazing trips, Right. you know? And then the other states you think of as like your opportunity states that you're just going to go and do. Yeah. So like I have like, from, from my understanding, if I'm right, like Nevada, it, you're just playing a long game. It's a long wait. Yeah. Arizona can be a long wait for right. a lot of
1: stuff. At least Arizona, we have, we have a max bonus point pool, So, which... Yeah, but how are you going to get... You can't get there. Yeah, with mule deer, it sucks. You know, if you hunt the strip, if, if, you know, if somebody's listening right now and they haven't ever applied for the strip and you're a non-resident, don't, don't even waste your time. You literally never draw it in your entire life.
0: Because what percent of those tags
1: go to the max point holders? 20% go to the max bonus point holders. And how many points those guys have? Uh, right now, I think it's 17 or so. And, but the biggest problem for non-residents is 10%, we have a 10% maximum for non-residents. So there's 20% of the, ma- of the tags go to the max bonus point pool. Only 10% of the total tags can be non-residents. So a lot of non-residents, when we started the bonus point system years ago, they started p- applying back then. So there's a very large number of non-residents sitting in the max bonus point pool. Yeah. So by the time the 20% is reached, the 10 percents is already reached. So technically, a non-resident doesn't even have a chance unless he's in the max bonus point pool. I mean, you can be two points off, you can be an applying for the last 16 years, and you probably still will not draw that in your lifetime. Considering the fact that you're probably already in your mid-40s, you know, if you've got that many points, yeah, you know, in your lifetime, your hunting lifetime, we're talking another 25, 30 years. So what do you
0: think, like, getting away from the, the, the practical matter of getting points, what, in your opinion, is sort of the, like the cultural effect of that system? Is that area, like, like, like take the area we're talking about, the, 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 the strip area. That area. Is that area so limited in water and stuff that you can't, you couldn't just start issuing over-the-counter tags for any buck? Would you damage the resource? Oh, yeah, destroy it up there
1: which it was, is exactly why we're in the predicament we're in right now. Well, there's a lot of speculation to why inflate will have a ton of input on this, but there was a time in the 50s and the 60s when the strip was over the counter. They had a huge number of deer up there. It had a very large number of deer. And then, you know, it was a combination of effects of overhunting. There was probably some predation, but back then I'm probably, I'm guessing they probably killed the snot out of predators back then. Mm-hmm. So it was just overhunting. Um, they knocked the deer population down to a point where game of fish had to come in and start setting a tag quota but that population had been suppressed to the point where it's never been able to recover back those days yeah so
2: they they actually suppressed it to the point where predators then did become a problem you know once a prey base gets so low to bounce back and and get above that level where it where the predators consume so many that it's holding the population down
0: yeah i can see that like they're not able to swamp the predators with Right, just like keep the them all fed, spider. yeah. Yeah. They
1: yeah. can't they can't drop enough fawns, you know, to keep all the fed, the predators fed. And the strip, I mean now I think what are we, sixty-five tags? Is it for the strip? And the strip
0: is I don't know how many million square miles. I mean, Sixty five <laughs> tags. Yeah. So yeah, so if you just said, All right, we're gonna do just the opportunity and had it be that any Joe Blow could go buy a tag for that area, you'd feasibly just Just kill every deer, Like kill every buck. Yeah, there's just not a chance. You see, it, it, it's so obviously true. It's like, like earlier we were talking about bighorns. I think you and I had this conversation before, like there's not a thousand bighorn tags in the country. No, not now. No. i do like to know go. how many thousands of people apply for less than a thousand bighorn tags. Yeah. But you could, yeah, it, It's pop, if you just were to give out bighorn tags you'd issue hundreds of thousands of more tags than there are bighorn sheep in yeah, existence literally, literally. <laughs> that's one thing people ask me all the time like sometimes people will take for granted that i think that people who have no desire to like to go shoot a deer should go shoot a deer so i don't i don't understand but people are always like so you think everybody should go kill a deer or else you shouldn't eat any meat. I'm like well one problem off the top of my head is we would immediately have a 200 million deer deficit yeah if everyone in this country went out and shot a deer, you know, it's,
1: it, like, it's actually you know I was looking you know a buddy of yours, Joe Rogan, you know he's on the cover of what's it, Peterson's Hunting, yeah. and he's talking about the new, the phenomena, you know the 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 hipster hunting movement, you know, and yeah. and how that's, you know I, I wonder at times just what kind of effect is it going to have in states where you have you know over the counter tags, prize you know, go to draws. Yeah, it's going to almost have to. You yeah. know when you look in. You know, Oregon and, and, you know, California's got a lot of private land, but, you know, Idaho, where you've got over-the-counter tags, uh, and, you know, large parts of Montana. You know, if all these people do go out and start hunting, you know, we all think that's a wonderful thing, but at some point, I'm wondering how wonderful is it? I mean, no, that's, that's what my,
0: my brother, he, like, when people talk about hunter recruitment, he can't stand the idea of it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But he's not looking at it from, I mean, it's a whole other conversation, but he's not looking at it from the legal Right. And of just how hunters are just gonna get trounced in the legislature, right? You know, like th- as the po- as the percentage of Americans who hunt shrinks and shrinks, and people keep talking about like the new breed of hunters. But when they talk about hunter increase in recent years, when they say like there's a nine percent increase, that's not that doesn't mean nine percent of the nine percent Amer- more of the American population is hunting, they're talking about a nine percent increase of like 1% of the yeah. population, you know? Yeah, we're just- So it's like, I don't know, like, I don't know. Are they, at, like, how many more tags are actually getting sold right now than five years ago? It's a great question, because, uh, you know, because I, I
1: agree with you, I think most of this increase in, in hunter, uh, in, in number of hunters applying, is just most of us are applying in, in multiple states. Now the Game and Fish departments have gone to online applications. You know, the, the new generation of hunters just totally into the online thing. They're allowing you to use a credit card now, or you used to have to write a check. And I think the bonus point thing oh, the bonus is a
0: huge thing because it doesn't feel like money wasted. No, people think they've got something when they get a point. I feel that way. That's why, like, Alaska and New Mexico don't offer bonus points. And I always feel like, one, like you got a good chance of drawing something because, you know, like you're in there with everybody. But you also feel like you didn't come away with some, like, tangible good, you know? No.
1: You get the best odds of drawing a sheep tag, a goat tag, or a moose tag are all in Idaho. But Idaho doesn't have bonus points. So people don't apply there because they don't feel like they're getting something for their money. They gotta buy a hunting license and they gotta front quite a bit of money, but they're not getting a tangible asset when it's all said and done. Like somehow you can will these points to your kids you know, when it's all said and done. Uh, people just don't apply. Therefore, you know, Idaho's got the best odds of drawing any one of those tags. By, yeah. how, by how much? oh you know on sheep you're looking at you know anywhere from three to seven percent chance in some units wow. you know anywhere in most of the you know states like arizona new mexico call it, well new mexico is terrible for different reasons but arizona colorado utah uh wyoming you know you're looking at half percent to one percent odds so you know roughly 14 15 times better and uh it's it's all about when they don't have they don't have really big sheep too so that, that doesn't help them either yeah but uh um, but, yeah, it's just the fact that they're not getting a bonus point. People don't want to, fund, they don't want to put the money up.
0: Yeah. For the listeners, I'll say that the three, the three animals that are just, the three animals that, that are single percentage point odds of hunting are things that most people aren't interested in. Like, the most people aren't interested in hunting anyways, unless you get really into hunting, is, like, moose, sheep, and goats. Okay. So, like, moose, bighorn sheep, mountain goats, um, it's just like you're not going to draw unless you're if you're an alaska resident you'll be able to hunt mountain goats often but or net it's just the kind of thing where you might get the opportunity once or twice in your lifetime you know in the west to hunt those animals um compared to everything else. Whitetail, mule deer, elk, you know. But what's funny is like we keep talking about these limited draw things in the West and meanwhile they got areas in in the East where they can't get people to shoot enough deer. Yeah. There's like, it's like there's two conversations going on. You know what I mean? Like one hand we're sitting here talking about all these like plans to try to like find a way to get a chance to hunt a mountain goat. And then the other hand they're thinking about overturning you know 130 years of wildlife conservation efforts and making it that you can go back to selling deer meat on the market as a way to try to get people interested in killing white-tailed deer
1: yeah it's a crazy
0: it's just hard to tell it's hard to tell where things are headed and i fret about it all the time like i fret about um what the ramifications might be if we do in fact get a bunch of new hunters what what do we owe those people as far as opportunity goes you know like how hard should, should fish and game agencies be sitting back and saying, all right, never mind growing animals to full maturity, never mind growing animals to trophy size? We should just allow people to start killing deer. And it wound up being like where I grew up in Michigan if you killed a two and a half year old deer, it was people came from miles away to look at that thing. Yeah. It just didn't happen. I want, like, I have no idea what that means for the deer herd. Yeah, it's a... You wind up with a very skewed, one, you wind up in these situations, like where I grew up, is it is like we're talking about over-the-counter maximum opportunity. Everyone that wants can go buy a buck tag. And you'll sit and you'll see 30 to 40 does for every buck you see, and you never see a buck who makes it past Definitely, like, I was saying two and a half, really. That's kind of unfair. But, like, a three and a half or four and a half year old deer, no way. Right. Mature buck. No way. And so it's like, that's where opportunity got. It was, like, deer are born one to one.
1: Yeah.
0: So when you're sitting there and you watch 20 does walk by for every buck you see, those things are born in a one to one ratio. Yeah. You know? And that's, like, sort of, like, opportunity management, in my mind, run amok.
2: Right.
0: You have a very... False pop, like you have a very manipulated population of deer there, you know. And on the other hand, is some of the stuff that we're talking about, like certain units in Arizona where you got to apply 18 years to draw the tag, is way limited, but it's probably a more realistic. You're probably looking at a herd of elk that probably resembles like a pre contact herd of elk, yeah, very much like so. more likely a pre European contact herd of elk where you got elk that are living to be nine years old, right? And there's a bunch of bulls, yeah. You know. And you've got, you've got old mature bulls,
1: that are genetically superior, passing on their genes, you know, because they are the big, dominant, strong animal. They made all the right decisions. Yeah, and so you've got, you know, whereas in the 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 maximum opportunity areas, you've got spikes doing the breeding. Who knows what their genetic potential really is? I mean, yeah. I don't mean just big antlers. I mean just survivability. Yeah. You know, do they have disease resistance? Are they able to live? Even could they possibly even live to four or five years old? You know, you've got those kind of deer, those kind of bucks passing on their genes. You know, as as opposed to a buck that's survived six years of hard winters, he knows where to, he knows where and how to winter. Uh, you know, he's got the genetic makeup to be a
0: survivor. Yeah. You know, you end up with. And it's got to hurt the population another thing you hear people talk about is it puts it winds up putting reproductive stress on young animals mm-hmm. like young animals that wouldn't be putting energy into breeding become like breeding contenders and go to breed but I see like I see both sides of this you know like I do with every issue like every wildlife issue is so complicated I definitely see both sides of it because just asking myself, if, that's the, if we're going in that direction, does it really, do I really want to be in a situation where I can only hunt once every four or five years? Yeah. No way, man. But you know?
2: if you take a close look at the North American big game model, it was never about managing opportunity for hunters, it was about managing wildlife and we've all got to keep our eye on that. That's really what it's
0: all about. Yeah, it wasn't like, yeah, no, I see what you're saying. No one ever looked at it and thought, we owe. We need to have these animals so people can shoot them. Oh,
2: right, yeah. it was all about the wildlife. And I think whenever we cited that, that's like here in Arizona, our habitat is, is so much different than say the Midwest or somewhere, even in the Northwest particularly. but. It, we just don't have the density of wildlife to fulfill the desires of the population base here in Arizona as residents, much less with the non-resident factors. So, I mean, we just, it's, it's a rare opportunity if you're one of the lucky ones that gets to go hunting and otherwise we just need to take care of the resource.
0: Yeah, because the same thing you guys are talking about, like where the wa- you'll see the impact of water Right. On on the growth of an animal. I mean, you're living in like a, a like a water limited
2: in the reproductions the same way. Yeah. In some years, and some years, we've had years that were so droughty that the elk didn't they didn't rut, or it was marginal at best. And then yeah. know, a lot of those cows didn't take and didn't reproduce just because it was so you know it was a marginal year for them to survive, much less to carry an offspring.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: One thing you guys touched on a little while ago that was really something I see a lot of or see every year. Hunters that put in for these once in a lifetime hunts and then finally draw this once in a lifetime hunt, they really don't have that skill set that say their friend or neighbor that is hunting some species every year. Because those skills are, you know, they're unilateral, they'll pass from species to species. But we had a good friend here a few years ago draw a strip tag and a really good, smart guy and I don't think he'd been deer hunting in over a decade. Hired one of the very best guides in the state, and they had the most miserable hunt and opportunities to take great deer on multiple occasions and just couldn't close the deal because the skill set wasn't there.
0: mm mm-hmm. Limited yeah. by what, marksmanship or just ability yeah, I mean, to move and-
2: Getting the safety off on time to getting the bullets in the gun to, you know, just all those things that a guy that hunts a lot takes for granted. Yeah. it's it's no guy in the world can overcome your inability to function under stress yeah and people think i'll just go hire this this outfitter over here these guys have done a great job and everybody that hunts with them is successful well you got to do your part and a lot of these guys show up with no skill sets they can't pull it off mm-hmm.
0: Slash Meat Eater, The single most valuable tool I have for chasing turkeys next to my scatter gun is the Onyx Hunt app. If I'm hunting turkeys, I'm using OnX. If I'm not hunting turkeys, I'm using OnX. I'm always using OnX. I live by that stuff. I can't tell you the number of birds this app has put me on by allowing me to easily find new areas to hunt. It's invaluable. I use it all the time. Even properties I know super well. I'm at my buddy Bubbly Doug's house. I'm using OnX, and I've hunted this place a million times. With their compass mode, I can pinpoint exactly on the map where a gobble rang out from and then figure out the perfect spot to set up. Meaning, if I'm sitting there, let's say I'm at Bubbly Dug's, I'm in the navel, and I hear, pow, I'll like instinctively pull up Bubbly Doug's place on OnX, and I'll look at the topography, and I'll be like, oh, that sucker must be over in that little opening over there. Waypoints also, and the ability to share them. Okay, comes in handy every spring. Whether that's revisiting old waypoints where I've been on birds before or sharing them to buddies to help put them on birds. This app will help you find more turkeys. On X Hunt has a special offer for you too. Use code Meat EATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this turkey season sport dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry born in 2003 in knoxville tennessee sport dog was forged by a passionate group of hunters and dog trainers who intimately understood the challenges of the field and the special connection between hunters and their dogs the sport dog promise to consumers is simple Gear the way you'd design it. Every product SportDog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. Now, I've got two good buddies with what I would call really, really good waterfowl dogs and here's one of those buddies max not the dog but the buddy i've used that sport dog collar now in multiple different states u.s and
1: canada different temperatures all the way to negative 20 degrees and it just doesn't stop working i'm a fan for life
0: get 20 percent off your first purchase using code meat eater so go to www.sportdog.com slash meat eater to learn more
1: that's a big deal i married guiding archery elk hunters especially in new mexico we always got a we always got a lot of midwesterners you know guys were whitetail hunters and the first day they'd be a stressed out mess you know bulls are screaming they're just you know they're not sure which way to start pointing their bow but by the second day they settle down you know and they're starting to get a little accustomed to it and by the time you got a bull inside 30 yards that was my favorite client because he knew he knew, he'd shot so many white-tailed deer, he knew how to hold that pin, he knew how to pick a spot, and he knew how to make a shot. Yeah. You know, and how many guys in, in Arizona I know that, uh, you know, they just they just freak out because it's the first time they've actually drawn their bow on an animal in eight years. Yeah. You know, since the last time they drew an elk tag.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, so the experience is is invaluable. That's why I think on I, every year I'm trying to draw areas... I'm looking at areas where I can draw over and over again. You know, in Utah, you know, I'm going to go to an area. Hopefully, this year they hunted last year. That had hunters everywhere, but there was deer everywhere too. You know, there wasn't big, huge deer, but there was decent. You know, just good-looking four points. I could find good-looking four points, but just get out there and and even for myself, just more experience, more experience, more experience. Because then all of a sudden there's going to be a 190-inch buck one of these days. And you know, hopefully, you know, gain enough experience shooting at smaller bucks to you know make it happen on yeah. that big buck. Yeah.
0: What is your? I asked you to do this for me when when putting together the, the guidebook series we have coming out. But um, did thing like 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 Denim's picks. Walk through what you feel like the like one the dream tag scenario. So like walk through if you were gonna have to say um, sort of like around the country, what are like a handful of things. If someone wants to do big game draws, like what are some of the handful of long term goal, life altering things they should be doing. You know,
1: if I had to pick the dream hunts, it go by species. I'd say bighorn sheep in the river the river break country, Missouri breaks country of Montana. I mean that's Is that the one you put in for? Yeah. I mean I always put in for like like six eighty. Oh really? Along with everybody. You got to. I mean you got to. I mean it it is the I'd almost rather i wouldn't say i wouldn't rather hunt sheep not hunt sheep in montana than not draw that tag but i'd i'd just rather have that tag i mean well, funny was, when you
0: look like everybody knows because people always have this conversation like 680 680 everyone knows 680 so there's a website you were showing me hunter's trailhead where you can go in and put in like how many bonus points you have non-resident resident and it'll give you an idea over the last handful of years what your odds would have been and then it'll it doesn't project though right no it doesn't project it shows you what your odds would have been in the previous years right. with with X number of points um, when I'll go look at those things like you can put it in 680 and realize you have 0.3 percent chance
3: right
0: you know and you look at the unit right next to it and it'll be 0.6 percent chance you're like that's twice you know yeah it's twice as good it's twice as good it's three <laughs> well ten. still put in 680 because <laughs> yeah. people just put down 680 though, because know, it's like the famous unit man. I, I think sometimes you just got to you got to
1: believe that when it's your turn it's your turn that's, that's the, the thing
0: man and you go like the area is so cool the animals are so cool you can find them right like you're not going to I shouldn't say that if you're an ambitious person who plans well you're not going to draw that not going to get a ram right you know yeah yeah, you know, the question might become country. whether you get like a, a giant or something, but you're gonna go there and be like, "Wow, there's a big horned sheep." Yeah, and that'd and be one. It, you know,
1: I would shoot a ram on that hunt. I mean, I'd, but I guarantee I'd probably, if I didn't see a 200 inch kind of ram, I'd, you know, I'd be shooting 175 inch ram on the last day. It's you a know? long season. It's a long season. You got tons of time, and you can just look at a lot of sheep, yeah. a lot of sheep. You know, in Arizona, everybody would think you know your first instinct would be elk, but Honestly, I'd have to say, well, desert bighorn sheep, you know, in Arizona. You got you, you, you to go after desert bighorn down here. And, and down here, honestly, even though units 22 and, and 24B are the units where they're killing the big sheep that everybody sees, but they're generally hunting those, you know, on the lake country.
0: Like on the big reservoir.
1: Yeah, the big yeah. reservoir where you're going in the boat. The only thing I regret about and I drew a 24B uh, tag back when it was north and south, it was just one unit. And the only thing I regret over that is, there's areas in Arizona, like down in the Cabeza Prieta, it's uh, down, down on the Mexican border, where you can go for an entire month and you will not see another human being if you choose not to. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are out there, you might see some drug runners, but that's about it. But you are in the wildest of wild country, and you may not kill 180 inch ram, you're not gonna probably kill 180 inch ram. But you're going to have an adventure of a lifetime. That's the
0: tag I would take. Yeah. I would it's, rather have that tag than the other way around.
1: Yeah. It, you, know, I've, you know, unfortunately, I, you know, I drew a great tag and I had a great hunt. But uh, now I have to live, I'm like a little league dad now. My son's got 14 or 15 points. I'm going to have to live vicariously through him. And, and hopefully he'll draw one of those tags and we'll get to go do, a, you know, an epic, you know, 25-day hunt.
0: But, but that, that's an interesting point within the question I already asked you. How old you kid? He's 21. So he's already got that many points. Yeah, he's. A- so he'll hunt bighorns absolutely. Cause I remember I was talking to the guy, the, one of the guys at hunting Fool, I had a conversation with him about this. He was saying, I can't remember what he said. If you're 30 and you start doing this, he says you have a very good chance of hunting two bighorn sheep. Yeah, at 30. If you're 30 years old and you start doing it, and you're doing it in all the state, you know, all the worthwhile states, you'll have a chance. You you might go on two bighorn sheep hunts, yeah. hunts before you die. Between Colorado and Arizona, you've got a
1: you know you've got a, a decent chance to get you know, a tag in Colorado if you're 30 years old if you play their game, and uh, in you know Nevada you know nevada's a bit of a gamble but like like uh, montana they square your points mm. so if you stick with it long enough you might have a, you know you're gonna get to the point where you have a seven eight percent chance every year and hopefully you know it happens before you're 60. yeah but uh but you know the one thing in arizona the antelope our antelope are just outrageous you know we just the genetics down here are just off the charts so i'd have to put antelope right up there at the top too is
0: that is that like a pretty quality hunt like um
1: like low pressure and it's it is except for the fact like we've already talked about the the you know we call it gang hunting mm-hmm. you know antelope are pretty visible so they are susceptible to having about five or six guys out running around covering lots of country looking at bucks
3: Gosh.
1: Uh, so it's not quite as remote as you'd like it to be just because they're just too doggone visible mm-hmm. but to to put a really beautiful animal on the wall arizona is tough to beat mm-hmm. it's just impossible to beat but uh in New Mexico is great for that as well, but Colorado for mule deer is, is the one that's still a mystery. to I say a mystery to me. It's not a mystery. There's just a lot of great units, but that's the one state where guys really need to be focused on mule deer. Uh, I had one tag there. I had a tag there a couple years ago in Unit 21, and I saw a buck there in the archery hunt. He was down on private. I never even had a chance to kill him, but this buck was, I saw him for probably 20 seconds, but probably 33, 34 inches wide. Had enough points that i couldn 't even figure out exactly what was going on, but I mean definitely a buck that was north of 220 just a monster in an area in a year that wasn't any of that great and twenty one 's got a bit of reputation but it's not it's it's over uh, it's it's definitely not what it used to be, yeah but Colorado from Yildir would be and then uh it's unfortunately a lot of my dreams revolve around mule deer hunting can you know considering i haven't I've, i'm like you i've never killed a big mule deer i mean a truly big buck i mean i killed
0: dude, yeah, a couple it's the only of i care like, about
1: getting a big one of i know and i've i every i've had a great a good tag in nevada or a good tag in wyoming and a good tag in colorado uh i've had a couple of tags over my lifetime and i thought this is it and it just doesn't happen you know it hasn't happened yet yeah. but nevada 231 for for mule deer uh the Henry Mountains. Um, but you're not gonna draw the Henry Mountain tag. No, no, that's a that's a dream. That's another one where you just you're better off you know. will draw gonna...
0: a sheep tag before you'll draw that. Most likely. You'll draw a sheep tag before you draw a chance to hunt mule during the Henry Mountains.
1: Yeah, if you really wanna hunt the Henry's, you need Float to said yeah, it six times. Yeah, go focus yeah. <laughs> Go focus, focus on your career and buy an auction tag. <laughs> you know, it's probably you got a better chance of you know focusing on your career and making a bunch of money and go buy a tag than you do a drawing one. Yeah, do you put in for moose tags in the west? I put in Utah, you know, back when back when Utah limited you to one limited entry species, uh, I chose moose, you know, so I've got 15 or 18 points, but I was just looking at my odds back when the applications were due and you know, I'm in that 2% range, you know, so. So 15 or 18 years of applying. Yeah, for a non-resident, you're you're down there in the, the 2% range. But, you know, you look at a state like, a, you know, like Idaho, where, you know, you and I've talked about Idaho. There's units there that, you know, your odds
0: are eight or 10%. Yeah. You know, Which is the, at that day. point, I started getting like, when I see something like that, like, with the number of bonus points I have in Montana on mountain goats, I'm running into eight, nine percent. You might actually draw that thing then. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's why I'd put moose in
1: Idaho is is something that if guys are really want to do. do you, is you know, that what you do? Uh, you know, because what they do in non-residents, we have to choose between elk. You You have to choose between moose, goat, and sheep. You can apply for one of those three. But if you apply for one of those three, then you can't apply for the limited entry deer- uh, elk and antelope tags
0: mm-hmm.
1: so the past couple of years I've been doing the deer elk and antelope tags which I'm 0 for 3 so I'm <laughs> in the same odds I used to so it's to,
0: one or the other there
1: it's one or the other yeah. but you can also go hunt over the counter every you year can hunt year. over the counter there for, yeah. for for elk and I think honestly some of the most overlooked you know the most overlooked opportunity the entire west are over the counter units or over the counter or you know one or zero points or one point
3: uh, and is it for that reason you think that because some units are just the draw unit and everybody's just focused there that the unit next door is like, yeah, those animals don't know and but nobody pays attention to them?
1: yeah And you look at the, you know, the resources we have, you know, the magazines, you know, they all tout the big units and everybody thinks the other units just have trash. I mean, I had an uh, antelope tag in Wyoming this past year and we we're running around looking for antelope and antelope. I stopped the truck, and there was a point, point it was about 100 yards out. So I kind of walked out the point, and I was looking over a huge, vast area for just to see if I could find any herds of antelope. And I just happened to look down to see where the road was going to go down this ridgeline, and I see a spot moving in the middle of the road, and I throw my binoculars up, and there's a mule deer walking down the road that I can tell from its body is enormous. And I could see it had antlers, but it was probably a mile away. So I run to my truck. Grab my spotting scope and I put my spotting scope up, and there's standing one of the largest mule deer I've ever seen in my entire life. This thing's like—I told Kyle I was with me. I said, "Kyle, I said I think this deer might be 38 inches," and he's like, "No way!" So we go running down. We go, we drive down there, and he dove off into a canyon. And we got to that spot, and we we walked out, and I'm looking way down the canyon, thinking that deer's got to be running. And then meanwhile, I see Kyle throw the camera up, and. uh and I'm looking, what's he filming? I look and there's that deer standing there 30 yards away. And he wasn't 37, but he's 32, 33 wide, tall, out in the middle of nowhere antelope country. And I come to find out it's a, totally a, it's a general unit. Oh, okay, so, right. It's a general unit. Deer season ended two days before. And there's bucks walking right down the middle of the road. Now I had, right across the highway, I had one of their hardest to draw deer tags the year before. I mean, it, literally right across the highway from where this was. I never saw a deer of that caliber, not even close to that caliber during my hunt.
0: Yeah.
1: And it took me <clears throat> eight years to draw that tag. And I could have drawn this one in one year, yeah. you know.
0: Giannis, uh, his favorite unit in Colorado, his favorite like mule deer unit, we were looking at hunting and Fool, and I, and I took a picture of their description of his unit, which is not a glowing description. <laughs> I took a picture and texted it to him. and He wrote back, I hope they never change that. <laughs> it, was just, it was just like, basically, almost like like, yeah, don't bother. Yeah, I think you, you got to get all of those
1: resources to figure out where not to apply at times. If uh, you're going to follow, you know, the, the strategy of I want to hunt every year. Yeah. but uh, So I don't know if it really answered your question
0: on those premier tags yet. But, no, no, uh, it was like a good sense. Yeah. And then what um what are the things, like, if people... Just want to go hunting. Uh, you just want to like one of these years when it's when time is right. You just want to go out, hunt the west. Maybe get to go for two different species. You know, it's your big chance. What are what are the states? I tend to pe like I'll, I'll tell you what I tend to say is in, in just based on friends and own experiences. I'm always like, if you want to go and have where you can just like. You're going to see deer you know, you're know, you not going to get a big one but you're going to see plenty of deer there's plenty plenty of tag opportunities like montana's great for mule deer like if you want to just go and have a good hunt and see stuff and i always point out that um colorado's got a lot of elk tags a lot of elk no giants but like you can go and have a solid hunt yeah you know why well, don't mean antelope I think Wyoming antelope's still
1: one of the most underrated hunts in the West because they don't, you're not gonna go see a bunch of huge bucks, but you're gonna see a lot of antelope. There's, you know, tags are easy to get. You can get doe tags. Um, And it's still an adventure. When you're in Wyoming, you're in the middle of nowhere, no matter where you are. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I mean, Wyoming's just an adventure. So I'd say Wyoming antelope, Arizona coos deer, like we kind of already talked about, um, I think is, uh, is still the most underrated big game species in the West. No one
0: even knows what it is. I know. I didn't know what one was. It. It. I thought people were screwing up and saying keys deer, like the, <laughs> the, the white tails they got in the Florida Keys, like coos deer. I'm like, yeah, those little shitting things when you're out fishing in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> There's not a. There is nothing.
1: There is not a single aspect of your game that you don't have to be extremely good at to hunt coos deer and and to to effectively hunt coos deer.
2: Yeah,
1: and you can draw it every year. Um, I mean, you've got to be in good shape. You've got to be able to shoot. You've got to be able to pack. You have got to be able to glass. I mean, it's uh, it's way un- it's just way underrated. Um, I think you know New Mexico mule deer is kind of the same way. You know, you've got there's two A, two B, and two C up in the north central part of the state that everybody focuses on because that's all the one- that's the only ones the magazines talk about. But New Mexico's got good genetics from top to bottom. I mean, say good. I mean, you can. You 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 can hope to shoot 150 160 inch deer, you know, just a really good solid four point.
3: Yeah,
1: and and probably not see near as many people as you might on a Colorado hunt. Uh, Nevada, and Nevada's got great genetics in every unit in the state. Now there's some that are just absolutely no doubt better than others. But that's a difficult but, state to get a permit in, though, right? Well, some units are. Some units are. Some units are really easy.
0: Okay.
1: Now, when I say easy, you can probably draw one every second or third year.
0: Gotcha.
1: And. uh and for a lot of people, you know, every two or three years is about all they can probably afford from a vacation standpoint. So drawing one every second or third year is you know, probably exactly what fits into their life schedule.
0: Yeah. One state we haven't talked about at all, it's kind of a funny state with draws, is like the Alaska mm-hmm. setup, where there's a couple things. Like, like uh, if you're a non-resident muskox, you, you have to draw. But it's funny because like, Every species there, there's over-the-counter opportunities for, and draw opportunities, and the draw opportunities tend not to be quality or abundance to animals. It tends to be the closer it is to the highway system, right. the more there's a chance it's a draw. So the best hunts in Alaska aren't the draw hunts necessarily. Right. You know, it just like when you see a draw unit there, it just means like yeah, you could drive to it.
3: Right.
0: So we got a limit. You know, yeah. like hunting caribou on the Kenai. It's like it's accessible, so you got to draw that. Meanwhile, you can go kill what the ba- like a bag limit of ten caribou. Right. You know, the state. in the Western Brooks Range, and it's just like it's just a whole different system up there. You know, I still do the draws there because there's a handful of things like there's those elk. I guess some ex- not experimental, but introduced elk herds is draw only. Muskox is draw only the best doll sheep units are drawn, not the best, yeah, maybe the best draw- doll sheep units are drawn only. Yeah. And I kinda drew the best of the best. Yeah. Get that silver spoon going. Yeah. But, well, I get, see I get my tags free. Because
3: <laughs> the state just, us, <laughs> they just want to see you the tourism out. board.
0: Gonna
3: <laughs> <laughs> kind of perpetuate that rumor. <laughs> the governor hand delivers them. <laughs>
1: Yeah, they bring them, they just mail me whatever I want. But still, the the other thing I think that, and most people have kind of figured this out, but I think it it needs to be reiterated, is pick up a bow. I mean, just today's today's archery equipment, you know, and and you've got most major cities anyways, you've got good pro shops, you can learn to shoot a bow pretty quick. Uh, It takes a long time to get really proficient, but it's fun. And the opportunities for archers, you know, are still the the best in the West.
0: You know, that's something, I don't know, I wish we wouldn't have waited so long into this to touch on that, is there is just an unbelievable amount of archery opportunity. Yeah, you know. And in
1: Arizona in January, you can come out and hunt deer over the counter in the middle of the rut. We got javelina tags that they have leftovers for every year. Coyote season's open, lion hunting's open, Uh, quail season, quail season and dove season are open. Basically, it's got fur and feathers. You know, there's a legal means of killing it. Mm-hmm. You know, and hunting it in Arizona in January. And it's a beautiful time to be in the desert. Yeah. But uh, yeah, archery opportunities are still some of the most underutilized. You know, in the country. Of course, there's probably some bow hunters going to send me a nasty gram for even promoting that. Promoting but. it, yeah. You know.
3: But what's interesting, I read in Easton's one of those mag- one of those. Uh, issues you we were just talking about today, um, that in Colorado now, the archery hunters are equaling the success rate of the rifle hunters for elk. Because, Is that right? Yeah, because they're hunting in the rut, and so you can hear them. And so it's just that much easier to find them, you know, where the rifle hunter can't find them. And again, with today's equipment, I mean, everybody's getting pretty good. What about season like?
0: Is, it, is that, like, is it the bow season way longer in Colorado? Way longer, yeah. yeah. It's a whole month. That's the thing, like, in Montana, man, it'd be, like, bow hunting there. That season open, like, September 2nd, September 3rd sometimes. And it would go. You hunt. You get all of September. First couple weeks of October, you know. All, like, the run's long. Yeah. And then it's just, you just go and go. You get sick of going. Yeah. You know, you can wear yourself out. It's like bow. Yourself. It's like it's like oh man, another weekend. You know, I mean, like yeah. you like you realize you hunted you bow hunted out seven weekends in a row. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's a lot of hunting you can get off a of bow.
2: Yeah, but you know, you see most archers, uh you know, they're definitely a high level high level skill set group of guys. The ones that are, are true archers did you see, I've never met a good archer that didn't shoot a rifle well. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, um, it's just there. You know, that's a that's a definitely a. The guys that are serious about it mm-hmm. are a click above, and 99% of them, if they had an opportunity with a rifle, would take that also. You know, It's not like they're diehard archers that I'm yeah. thinking of. Yeah. These are just guys that want an opportunity.
0: Yeah. Yeah, my brother, as far as the bow hunting, gun hunting thing goes, yeah, he just has this very, like, this internal battle all the time where he doesn't feel like, uh, he doesn't feel good to shoot something with a rifle. He's a bow hunter, you know what I mean? But at the same time, it just doesn't mean anything to him, you know? He says it's like a harvest for me. Like, to shoot something with my rifle is like a harvest. It's like I'm just shooting meat, you know, for the freezer. Um, but at the same time, he has this, like, hatred for his bow, which he actually loves because the efficacy and wound loss is so much higher with the bow and arrow. So he's like, it feels so much better, but at the same time, he goes, I almost hate myself for doing it. Like. Sometimes I have this weird thought that I wish that somehow I couldn't bow hunt anymore so I didn't have to have the struggle of it. Like, I love it, but then you just have to live with this fact that you're going to have a higher rate of wound loss, you know? Like, the efficacy of a rifle is just in the right hands, you know? The efficacy of a rifle is great, and there's just so much room for error on bows. And they factor that stuff in, man. You know, they factor that stuff in when they set out, when they allocate tags, you know?
2: Well, they—they're definitely going to move. Eventually, these game and fish aid, or departments are going to understand that the success rate with this archery equipment and the level and quality of these hunters is dramatically different than it was ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's just no question about it. I watch. Like, I don't consider myself an archer. Uh, I, you know, I utilize the archery to get a system to get a permit, and uh, I, I'm always amazed at how effective they are as a. There's a tool if you know if everything goes right in the right hands mm. but when you look at a rifle hunter, I mean there's no hardly any excuse to make a mistake with yeah. a rifle. still happens
0: absolutely yeah, yeah. We, we, Giannis and I were having this conversation earlier, we were trying to find a way like many editors and and I know Chris you have is like. A thing that everybody asks now is like, "What is it? what shot's too far? Mm -hmm. What's too far with a rifle? You can't define it. Like, I got a friend who teaches, um, when we were having this conversation, I was pointing out, I got a friend who is an instructor. He's a Marine Corps sniper and a a sniper instructor. I'm not going to go say to him what's too far for him to shoot because he is going to, at 600 yards, he's going to call his shot better than I'm going to call it at 200 yards.
2: It's
0: all about the competition. So it winds up being like, it's so hard to define because you have to, like, I, I've struggled with the definition and the best I've come up with is, it's too far when there's a question in your mind about whether you're gonna hit it where you want to or not.
2: I would say that is a great definition.
0: And I used to, when I first started hunting the West, particularly hunting antelope, we would shoot an antelope, basically to see if you'd hit it. You we know? Probably really safe. And I now realize that that is, even though it wasn't that far, it was three. I, I remember my brother shooting an antelope that we paced off at 309 yards when we first moved to Montana. And it was like, you, there's nowhere in Michigan you can go and see 309 yards. <laughs> it was unfathomable to me, you know, that he did it. And now I think like at 300 yards, when the conditions are right, you know where that thing's going. But when we were shooting, so at that time, 300 yards was too far. Because if it wasn't, we shouldn't have been surprised when that antelope tipped over. Right, right. There should be no element of, holy cow, you hit it. Yeah. You
2: know? When, whenever you, the thought runs through your mind that I'm going to shoot at that animal instead of shoot that animal. Yeah. Okay? yeah. It, it, you know, it, you're making a mistake. It, you know, it's just, and the animals deserve more than that. And we all have taken our share of,
0: of stupid shots. Oh uh, yeah, you know, and like, I'm not saying I'm even done doing it okay. <laughs> <laughs> because it just you get caught up in the moment, right. Right, yeah. you know,
2: get excited. But yeah, I think that's and I watched so much. We were right in the middle of the long range stuff 10, 15 years ago. We ended up there accidentally. We were developing a rifle that had a a zero or was in the kill zone from the muzzle to 500 yards, and it was a 3378. And Explain it, what you mean by that. Well, you want to be able to look at an animal from zero to five hundred yards and not need to know the range, because beginning. the rifle shoots so flat. Flat, correct. Yeah. Right. You know, you hold right. If it's way out there, you're going to hold right level with the, the top of its back. If it's close, you might duck down a little bit and be down on the lower section of the animal, but you never have to come off of the animal. Mm-hmm. Uh, any, and that's another point. When you see people holding off of an animal, you're uh, you're shooting at it. You aren't shooting. It. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And. Uh, And we ended up in that, and I I watched some, and my skill shoot, my ability to shoot, dramatically improved. uh, Went from being able to shoot things at two and 300 yards to seven and 800 yards. And I shot a few animals at those distances, but they were under super controlled situations. And I bet I passed dozens of animals that I didn't shoot at those distances because everything wasn't right. Mm -hmm. And what you see now is you see people that are just shooting at stuff at long range. Yeah. and that's you know the animals deserve a better deal than that. I mean, we or we owe them more than that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's almost a line where you ask yourself, am I just am I shooting this animal or am I hunting this animal? You know, yeah. we you, you reach a point where yeah, I can shoot that far, but I haven't even actually I'm not actually hunting right now. I'm just literally just shooting. Yeah, you know when you see you know and you see it all too often now people you know elk at 800, eight hundred nine hundred thousand yards you can't honestly tell me you're hunting an elk a thousand yards. Yeah. <laughs> you're not hunting him. You're just shooting him. You know, and it's still, I know it still doesn't answer the question how far is too far, you know, but... Uh,
0: no, it's, 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 a, it's like an impossible question. It wasn't something that people really talked about before. Right. I think what, what brought it up was, uh, I guess, rangefinders, right? Yeah. Rangefinders changed the whole game.
1: You know, it just, it changed everything. Now, you know, with the rifles we have, you know, the, the you know, a rifle can put... You know, some you know, you know a really good shooting rifle will put, you know, a bullet in an eight inch circle at a thousand yards. Mm-hmm. You know, with a competent shooter. You know, of course, controlled scenario. You know, a known scenario with wind and everything else that's going on.
0: And I don't want to trivialize this stuff either because it's difficult. Yeah. It's not like anybody's going to pick up and shoot an eight inch. Cir- I mean, it's yeah. just there, there's a lot of technical skill yeah involved in shooting that kind of stuff and even the controls I mean, huge yeah. amounts of
1: guesswork i mean yeah. floyd and i went up to i don't know have you been to the vortex extreme challenge yet you no done that in utah you
0: would like that
1: you need to go out and watch that it sometime it's pretty interesting well, i got scared
0: and, off just by hearing people talking it. oh
1: it's it's insane somebody I, I feel like I've probably the, the <laughs> finest group of western marksmen who are also hunters in, in, in ever you know and they're all right there at that shoot and they're shooting at known distances most of the guys have shot that course before, so they already know what the winds are kind of doing in those different canyons, and still the winners are not gonna shoot 50%.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They're shooting between you know, 300 and 900 or 1,000 yards, and they're not gonna get 50% hits to win. You know, so they're doing an under scenario where they're, yeah, they're, they're exercising because it's all part of the, the course is you're hiking a lot, so you're a little bit tired, but there's, you don't have an adrenaline rush. You know, yeah. it's not like, the, he's not getting away. He's going to stand, target's going to stand there perfectly broadside, you know, until you pull the trigger. Yeah. Yet, we're still not getting 50% hits. Yeah. But when you see a, you know, when you see stuff on, on, on YouTube and TV shows and DVDs, with, you know, the guys never miss. You know, nobody ever misses. Oh, we know that's not true.
0: Because not showing the part where he's hitting and the guy's calling the bullet for him and he adjusts and shoots and calls the bullet and then he hits him yeah. like there's gold. It, it's a little loud.
3: <laughs> And at those distances, those animals, they don't even know. Yeah. They don't hear the shot half the time. Yeah. You know, unless you just blow up a rock right at its toes, yeah. they rarely get scared off, you know, when you're shooting at them. But to bring
0: it full circle, um with with technology creep and the inevitable rise in efficacy on hunter parks fish and game agencies are gonna adjust and and they have a couple tools at their disposal shorter seasons fewer tags Mm -hmm. or moving seasons to less opportune hunting times All all of which mean that because of the things we're talking about you need to pay attention to and learn how to play the tag game because like it or not it's coming to you (laughs) it's coming to a woods near you (laughs) all right guys thank you very much
3: thank you for listening
0: Telling you what, decked is a game changer. Decked has completely changed how I load, organize my truck. All my stuff that I want is always in there, out of my way, and secure. It's perfect. If you own a pickup truck that you use, you know, like a truck, the decked drawer system gives you weatherproof storage for all your gear. You can lock it up too. You keep your tools and gear organized, job site or out in the field. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Go to decked.com slash meat eater and get yourself some free shipping. Hey, if you follow wildlife news at all, you're probably aware that the island of Maui has an incredible abundance of Axis deer, so much so that they're causing ecological damage. Well, Maui Nui venison, is thinning out some of those Axis deer herds and delivering venison sticks and fresh cuts to your door. Visit com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order.